Anthony Burgess once said, laugh and the world laughs with you, snore and you sleep alone. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Wendy Troxel. Dr. Troxel is a clinical health psychologist at the University of Pittsburgh in the Department of Psychiatry. She has received several awards and honors for her research from the University of Pittsburgh and from international scientific societies. Her work is focused on the link between relationship quality and sleep. Welcome to ReachMD. Thanks so much for having me. Dr. Troxel, how did you become interested in this topic of relationships and sleep? Uh, well, my interest in sleep actually came out of my past research and interest in understanding how relationships influence uh, physical and mental health. So we know that some relationships are health beneficial, whereas others actually confer health risk. But we really don't understand how relationships get under the skin to influence health and well-being. And so I kind of arrived um, at the area of sleep research because, for me, sleep was this obvious and quite intuitive candidate mechanism that may link relationships with sleep because, number one, it's a fundamental health behavior. It's well documented that poor sleep is associated with both physical and mental health consequences. And it also happens to be this fundamental health behavior that couples engage in together. So it's a shared health behavior. So it seemed like it was a really appropriate candidate mechanism to consider in the context of how do relationships influence health. How common are intimate relationships adversely affected by sleep problems? whole lot of systematic research in this area, but the National Sleep Foundation in their Sleep for America poll reported that one-third to a quarter of married or cohabiting adults report that their intimate relationships are adversely affected by either their own or their partner's sleepiness or sleep problems. Now, other than this survey study, I can say both anecdotally and clinically that it's quite common for relationship problems to come up um, in a typical sleep evaluation. And also, if you consider that a common sleep disorder such as sleep apnea is often considered a disease of listeners. So it's often the partner, him or herself, who brings the patient in complaining, you've got to treat my spouse because they're keeping me up all night with their snoring or gasping for air. Mm -hmm. So it really does suggest that the problems for the relationship are quite prevalent and also quite pressing for the relationship. Which sleep problems are the most problematic? I, I know the answer is in my house. Well, yes. I mean, the obvious one is certainly snoring. I'm guessing that's what you're referring to. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and that, <laughs> that's where most of the research lies as well. There's definitely um, the strongest evidence showing that sleep apnea or snoring does adversely affect both the sleep of the bed partner as well as the overall relationship functioning. Now, that's not to say that other sleep disorders aren't important. Uh, I could really think of so several plausible reasons why, let's say, insomnia would adversely affect the relationship. It's just that the research hasn't gone there yet, and we certainly need to do more in that area. Mm -hmm. Now, does a sleep disorder in one spouse increase the risk of a sleep problem in the other spouse? I know of one study that has looked at this question, and yes, there is a study showing that wives of snorers are three times more likely to have symptoms of insomnia compared to wives of non-snorers. 
So it does suggest that a partner's sleep problem may be a risk factor for one's own sleep problems. Well, that one makes total sense to me. We call it uh, sleeping with the megaphone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, what about the converse? Uh, do relationship problems adversely affect sleep? This is a question that I'm particularly interested in, and there's been much less research in this area. But the existing research, there's a handful of studies out there. Those that are out there do suggest that relationship problems can adversely affect sleep. On the other hand, if you look at the research that's out there, you could say that healthy relationships are actually a protective factor that can reduce your risk of having sleep problems. Now, describe for us, if you would, your model of the dynamic association between relationship functioning and sleep. This model, we just published in Sleep Medicine Reviews. So we proposed a comprehensive model which suggests that there are bidirectional relationships between sleep and relationship functioning. So sleep can affect relationships and relationships can affect sleep. And this bidirectional kind of dynamic relationship is mediated by both psychological, behavioral, and physiological pathways. And so I think Without going into great detail about all the pathways, I can give you an example if you'd like. If you think about psychological mediators, we know that marital unhappiness is associated with increased risk for depression, which is a known risk factor for sleep disturbance. On the other hand, we also know that sleep disturbance is known to influence mood and irritability and can presage the development of depressive symptoms. So you see that psychological factors can kind of serve the link or the pathway connecting either the direction going from sleep to problems in the relationship or going from problems in the relationship going to increased risk for sleep problems. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Wendy Troxell. We are discussing relationships and sleep. Now, Wendy, if you would, could you review the literature examining the impact of co-sleeping on the bed partner's sleep for us? Sure. Now, first of all, you should know that when you consider that roughly 60% of American adults sleep with a partner, it's really rather shocking that we know so little, as far as the research goes, on the objective and subjective consequences or benefits of sleeping with a partner. There are really only about five or six studies that have been published on this topic. So in general, this small group of studies suggest that objectively, so that's using measures of such as polysomnography or uh, actigraphy is another way of measuring sleep or rest-wake activity. Objectively, people sleep worse when they sleep with a partner. But interestingly, subjectively, people tend to sleep better or they think they sleep better when they're sleeping with a partner. As far as our objective standards, there's, there's some cost to co-sleeping. But if you ask people, well, would you rather sleep alone or would you rather sleep with your partner, generally people will say that uh, they prefer to sleep with a partner. So what do we see on polysomnograph if you examine people? And, and I'm curious as to the logistics of this. Do you have both people come into the sleep lab and wire them both up? How, how do you do these studies? Well, there's one study that did bring both people into the lab. This is actually a treatment study, which is very interesting, in sleep apnea. And it showed that when the patient, the apneic patient, was titrated to a therapeutic dose of CPAP, 
um, that they showed significant uh, polysomnographic improvements in the partner's sleep in the treatment phase of the study. So that was quite interesting. There's also home polysomnography studies, or actually just one, I believe. And what they show is primarily it's differences in sleep continuity, that there's more disrupted sleep, and I believe slightly less deep sleep, stage three, four sleep, when sleeping with a partner. Some of our listeners may not be familiar with actigraphy. Can you please explain what that is? Sure. Actigraphy is a simple wristwatch-sized device. It's non-invasive. It gives you an objective measure of sleep duration and continuity. However, it needs to be used in conjunction with some sort of diary measure of sleep because you need to know there's an algorithm, a computer algorithm that goes along with the actigraph device that can compute measures such as sleep efficiency, wakefulness after sleep onset, sleep fragmentation, and sleep duration. But you need to enter the information based on a sleep diary, let's say, of what time the person is going to bed and what time they're waking up for the algorithm to work. But it's a nice, fairly inexpensive and non-invasive way of getting a more objective measure of sleep as compared to simply asking people, how long did you sleep in the past week? So it can kind of augment that kind of data and is also useful in a clinical setting as well. Patients often don't volunteer information about their sleep partner's influence on their own sleep. So, for example, a woman comes in, says she has insomnia, and doesn't mention the fact that her husband's snoring or the kids are up three times a night or, or you know, those sorts of things. And, of course, it's very difficult to treat her insomnia unless we do address the whole family sleep. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I think that you can fairly easily incorporate that into a fairly standard and quick sleep evaluation, simply asking the question directly as part of typical sleep disturbances and the comfort of your sleep environment that should always be included in the insomnia as a diagnostic assessment. You want to ask, is your sleeping environment comfortable in terms of temperature, light, sound, all sorts of things, and who are you sleeping with on a regular basis, and is there anything about the partner that may be influencing your sleep or anything about the household in terms of children waking up many times during the night can certainly be a problem as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I really appreciate you being on our show today, Wendy. Oh, my pleasure. We've been discussing the association between relationship functioning and sleep with expert Dr. Wendy Troxell. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.